Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you so much for tuning in. And another edition of Stand Up For The Truth, an important program today. And we're going to talk about some American history and how it combines with some church history. And we are going right into the feminist movement and get someone who has studied it and our guest today, uh, I'm excited to introduce her in a minute. Let's open it in prayer as we always do. Father in heaven, uh, we need your help, and we ask for wisdom, and we thank you for giving us wisdom whenever we need it. We pray that you'd guide us, not just in this one hour, in this conversation today, Lord, but uh, guide us and lead us into all truth, Lord. Help us be better at discerning. Help us be better at understanding the times in which we live, and we know those of us who are alive right now are here for such a time as this. We pray for strength, and we pray that you increase our faith and help us to see clearly through that the lens of the, of the Bible as we look at this world and our culture and our country and into the church, Lord. Help us to always speak the truth in love, but help us to never back down from the truth and we ask that you season our speech with salt today and just lead us in what we share. We love you. We thank you for the opportunity to talk about things that matter. And we praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness and the hope that we have in you, especially during this Christmas season. We thank you for it, what we have to look forward to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our guest today has been a student of Bible prophecy since the 1980s. Uh, She's presented over 150 prophecy updates to the church. She's done numerous radio interviews. She's been on this program before, but it's been a while. She had a program also called Behind the News, which ran for four years, and she also had two-minute warnings, which we used to play here on Q90FM. We're going to try to get those back, try to talk her into it. And she also has a series of tracks called The Contender Series, And uh, she is uh, a wife, mom, grandmother, and she's on the worship team at her church at Calvary Chapel. And we want to welcome Mary Danielson back to Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning. It is just wonderful to be here. Good morning, Mary. You picked the coldest day to come, but here we are. Here we are. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, heat things up by getting into uh, this (laughs) important topic. And we're going to talk about the history of feminism and the church today. And we're going to connect a lot of dots Mm -hmm. to help you see how things have progressed. That word almost doesn't seem right. Maybe regressed, declined in America from the the family unit to the church, authority in the church and the structure of the church to what we have today in our culture where women are marching all across the country and in Washington for uh, some rights that I'm not even sure Um, I'm I'm sure some of them know what they're marching for. But Mayor, let's start off with this. You wrote a new book. It's called Home Before Dark. I've read through a lot of these. They're almost like mini devotionals. Um, you, You might want to describe it a different way. It's called Observations from the Road, Home Before Dark, and it is available on Amazon, by the way. We will put a link to that in today's podcast. But I know you've done a lot of studying and a lot of research, research through the years. What led you to write this, in, in, and even in the way that you wrote it, in the short segments? Yeah, you know, after all these years of just uh, sitting in the church and thinking things through and, and being well-taught and well-fed and, and having, you know, I have a tendency to think, well, if this is true, then that must be true. And so, and, and I filter that through God's Word. But there's a specific verse and having been a student of prophecy for so long, um, Hebrews 10.25 talks about um, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, number yes. one. Uh, and number two, and exhorting one another on a, a daily basis as we see the day, capital D, approaching. Well, the question is then, do we see the day approaching? Well, I definitely see the day approaching. And um, so that there's that's a command to do this. And it's not a suggestion. So I thought, well, how is the best way to do that? And as I sat down with a format and I wanted it to be an easy read, I wanted to do a daily encouragement. 
Um, and that's what this ended up to be. Um, it's, it's segments. You can read one. You can read two. You can put it down. You can walk away for a month if you want. But the goal um, is to be an encouragement. And there's one specific uh, segment in there that actually is my favorite. And it kind of gives you an idea of, of why I wrote the book. And it's, it's a story of um, I was walking to work. I do that often. And I stood on the street corner, the intersection of where I, my street, and I said to myself, which way should I go today? Because there's several ways that I could go. And um, I, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go this direction. This will be fun. So I get down a couple of blocks, and there is uh, – I look to my left, and I hear a little girl – and she's looking up. There's some apartment buildings there. And she's looking up uh, to the top floor. And she's jumping up and down. There's a little uh, toddler next to her. It must have been her brother. And she's yelling, he's coming, he's coming, he's uh-huh. coming. And it's going on and on and on. And the little guy, who has no idea why she's doing this or, or what they're actually doing, but he's going to follow along. He's trying to hoist himself up off the ground on his little stubby legs. And I mean, I concluded that she's waiting for her father to come down and take her somewhere. And uh, she saw me out of the corner of her eye, and then she kind of got real quiet, you know. But that was all I needed um, for the Lord to minister to my heart, that as little children ourselves in his eyes, that's what we're to look like. Mm. And and so the the book is basically full of not stories like that necessarily, but exhortations and encouragements uh, from the word and, and just from daily life and cultural references and a little bit of humor here and there. I like them. They're very short, and that's not the reason I like them, by the <laughs> way. But there's a scripture, there's a thought. You go back, and I think this is – I'm not going to say it's more for people that kind of might remember some of these decades, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. 80s. Things were very different yes. in America and in the church. But when you just shared that story, I can't help but go to uh, Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that. And so, is he coming? Is he coming? Was that what she was saying? He's coming. He's coming. Oh, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. That's even better. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I look like that to God, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the days are dark, and we can get so busy with the things of this life that we forget that he's coming. So this book is basically an encouragement to everybody out there. Don't forget. And one of the reasons we forget sometimes um, in the church is Bible prophecy is just one of the things that so many churches avoid. Mm-hmm. And that, I can't grasp that concept because he is returning. Mm-hmm. That is a promise we have. And what is it? A third of the, yeah, a third yeah, of the third Bible. Of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Basically, between a quarter and a third is on Bible prophecy. And some churches just don't like to go there. But that is our hope. Mm-hmm. It's a huge subject, and it takes time to understand it all in, in scope. But if you, you can start anywhere. You can set sail from here and yes. try to understand a systematic study of Bible prophecy. You'll be blessed. You'll have a heavenly mindset. <clears throat> Eternal, eternity will now be on the front burner of your life instead of maybe off to the side. Yeah, we're promised in Revelation that he who reads this prophecy will be blessed. And you don't have to jump into Daniel and Revelation right away. Right. When you go to Bible prophecy, read the Gospels. Mm-hmm. The Gospels, mm-hmm. as, it, as it was written. And Christ fulfilled so many scriptures in the Gospels. Anyway, we're getting a little off track. I want to come back to your book, Home Before Dark, Observations from the Road. We're only going to spend a little bit of time on this because we really wanted to talk about feminism and the church today. But I do want to share maybe one or two of these because they are so short. I like the one called It's About Time, because my favorite scripture, one of my favorite scriptures is at the end. It says, even though God is outside of time, and this is by Mary Danielson, it is an important measuring stick this side of heaven, not to mention a fascinating subject and hard to wrap one's head around. One thing I've learned in this life is that while humans like to complain about not having enough time, we generally manage to find time to do the things we really want to do. While this is not necessarily wrong, it does carry with it the risk that we will often choose to do that which profits little, e- little eternally and neglect those things that may not be immediately gratifying but are invaluable spiritually. Nevertheless, it seems as though the world is spinning faster and we are irrevocably busier, which is why we tend too long for a simpler time and a slower pace. I want to stop right there because we do... We tend to long for a simpler time. Things were simpler. Many of us, we're dating ourselves here, many of us grew up in the 60s and the 70s. It seemed like simpler, not as simple as maybe the 40s, 
Um, but it was a simpler time. It was a slower pace. And today, with so much social media and 24-7 news cycle and things happening, even in our churches, we got to keep up with so much. It seems like it's just not as simple, and we need more discipline to keep on top of that. But we also need to remember in terms of eternity, I think that's the point you were making here, um, we don't know how many days we will have. It says we are not guaranteed fullness of days or even happy days. This should cause us to be mindful, grateful, and occupy till he comes. It's about time. And the verse, Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And that is one of my favorite ones from your book, Home Before Dark. I don't know if you wanted to share one or talk about one uh, before we move on, uh, change the topic slightly? Yeah, not necessarily. I I think the one with the little girl, I think that that sets the tone for the whole book for me. And it is written from a baby boomer's perspective. It it really is. I make no apologies for that. (laughs) Uh, The introduction talks about uh, why I've called it that. I believe we will be home before dark. Now, it is dark out there anyway. We're living in dark days. Yes, we are. But um, in the introduction, I talk about how we would go out early in the morning in the summertime, and we'd come home really late. Dirty feet, the whole thing. Nobody worried about where we were. We had no cell phones. We'd play outside. But Mom always said, be home before dark. Mm. And uh, so I, I do liken it to the culture that I grew up in. Uh, it's possible that the post-war kids will, will really en- enjoy some of the cultural references. Yeah. But uh, uh, I hope people really enjoy it. And, and young kids today are going, wait a minute, you went outside to play? <laughs> <laughs> Without cell phones? <laughs> yeah, because that's what we did. Yeah. All right, uh, Mary, let's make a little uh, transition now. Okay. Uh, by the way, the, the book again, Home Before Dark by Mary Danielson, is, it is on Amazon. And we'll put that link in the podcast post. Very important subject I asked Mary to come in and share her research on and some of her insights because it's one thing to hear these thoughts from me. (laughs) And it's a whole other thing to hear them from a woman's perspective, especially when you talk about the authority in the church and other things. And I just want to talk about, before we get into the history, Mary, and our country has changed so much just in our lifetimes, but feminism, we hear that word and we think of some of the things that are going on today, the the women's march, we might as well call it the the progressive women's march because they don't allow conservative Christian women who are pro-life, evidently. Um, So it's been radically changed, but let's talk about definitions. What exactly is feminism? When did it start? And I'm sure it started off with good intentions and Mm -hmm. and did some good things at first because women needed some things to happen in this country. So share with us some history on that. Okay. Um, I think we need to ask ourselves, what is feminism, even if we think we know what it is? And what isn't feminism? Well, the official wiki, Wikipedia definition is very telling because it's probably not what um, you might think it was. And, And they say, it is a range of social and political movements and ideologies that seek to define, establish, and achieve political, economic, personal, and social equality of the sexes. Keep that word in the back of your mind because this is <clears throat> the word equality is a big part of what we're going to talk about mm-hmm. later. Um, so it has morphed uh, in my lifetime to include gender equality um, with a little side you know, of anger and animosity, and the church is not immune to its influence, but I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Uh, what it is not is also important for definitions. Feminism is not about voting, okay? It's not about having an office in a high rise. It's not about uh, temperament or salary. It's not about a mental capacity, you know, uh, to say that 50% of the population is too mentally challenged to pick a president or a politician or sign for a mortgage or be a competent professional is just not true. Uh, think about it practically with me here. If all women dropped out of the workplace or stopped contributing to the culture, there would be untold number of jobs left undone, businesses that went under, uh, in in areas that women are are uniquely qualified to fill. Um, Men have their God-given temperaments and qualities to do uh, particular kinds of work, and women have theirs. Mm -hmm. You know, say in administration, for instance, you know, and that is not sexist. I don't believe that at all, that that is a sexist thing to say. Uh, So, you know, and with inflation and the economy being what it is, many families simply cannot make it on the resources of just the breadwinner. And that's part of our culture that we can't do anything about. They would probably prefer it another way. So economics is also not being reduced to a feminist issue any more than intellect can. So, you know, is it about being the same as a man? 
Um, you know, we're going to answer that later. Now, mm-hmm. feminine activism goes back 150 years, mm-hmm. the abolitionist movement to outlaw slavery. Which was a good thing. Yes, it was a very good thing. Um, uh, the right to vote. There's your suffragettes, and you can actually see, you know, video, old video of these women marching for the right to vote. Uh, the temperance movement that was outlawing alcohol use back in the 20s called Prohibition. Now, women headed up all these movements, and uh, they wanted to impose a certain morality on society. Now, you got to remember at this time, a large percentage of people still went to church back in the, the 1920s. We're talking 100 years now here. Mm-hmm. They owned Bibles. They still respected the Judeo-Christian worldview, uh, at least regarding prohibition. It actually had the opposite effect um, in creating more alcoholics and causing more demand for alcohol because— you know, we all know that the law makes people do the opposite of what they should do. Um, but imposing morality on a society is a guaranteed fail, mm. even though their hearts were probably in the right place. Right. But this is also not world-changing feminism. That was yet to, to come. So let's just dive in a little bit here. Uh, bear with me with this history lesson because it's really going to help you as we, um, you know, conclude the show. About 100 years ago, uh, a woman named Margaret Sanger took her politically progressive ideas, which is Marxism, and eugenics, which is population control, and applied them to reproductive rights for women. This was very radical. Uh, She started what would become Planned Parenthood. She spent her life crusading uh, for publicly available birth control, which could not be spoken of in public at that time, let alone in pamphlet form, which was how they distributed their information. They they gave out pamphlets uh, because they were Uh, federal obscenity laws at the time, uh, she broke every single one. And she was always in danger of going to prison. At one point, she actually uh, fled the country for Europe, left her husband and her three daughters and just took off. Um, And she uh, would, would be considered a racist today with her overtures to the poor and the KKK organization to promote sterilization mm-hmm. for certain sectors of society. I don't know if a lot of people knew this about her, but Sanger and her cohorts really affected all of us today in stunning ways. Well, along comes the post-war generation. Men were returning from the war. Couples were anxious to marry and have families. And it was a, a seemingly happy time. Uh, and it really was for many. And a good, um, a secure environment to raise children, a traditional home is what we called it, as seen on TV with the cleavers. Uh And and I don't want you to think I sound cynical. I'm not cynical. I thought it was a great season in American life. But then all of a sudden in the late 60s, now we have another strong push for women's rights on several fronts. And this wave coincided with a push for women to be completely independent of men, as in we don't need men for anything. Well, in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11, 11 says, In the Lord, women is, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Um, but the world had a completely different view of that. Now, if you could sit down uh, and take time to compare the innocent TV themes from the 50s and 60s to um, the, the single-parent toxicity of the 70s under uh, Norman Lear, you'd see how suddenly uh, thematic feminism became, even through Mary Tyler Moore. Um, as though some kind of switch was flipped at some point. We had all in the family, Maud, one day at a time, and others, and a lot of us were teens at that time. Uh, so the the teens, like me, were targeted. Our, our moms were targeted for this new uh, theology. Um, so it's been, it's been relentless for, I would say, three generations now. Um, it was very shocking at the time. Um, but nearly all—here's here's the fruit of that— you watch TV comedies today, and they present a bumbling dad yep. who manages to screw everything up uh, like like a teenager. And then the woman comes along, and she fixes it all within 22 minutes plus commercials. Um, and it is so offensive, and it should be offensive, because a society that portrays its men as juvenile frat boys is in big, big trouble. Hold that thought, Mayor. Yep. We need to take a break, but I want to say a big amen to that, because even commercials— the, the male would be trying to figure something out, bumbling, not doing the right thing, way off, right? And the woman would come in, the female would save the day. I can't, you go back to, I don't know how many sitcoms where the dad is just almost, they almost render the male um, useless. Or if he's even there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it, when he is there, he's causing problems and, and the, the young Young kids, young uh, teenagers are disrespected. They don't have respect for him because he makes he's just so idiotic. Well, that's how they portray males. They've done the, the, a good work in doing that in our society. But we're going to come back. I also want to you know share another quote from Margaret Sanger because when you mention the KKK, that's a little provocative, mm-hmm. a little sensational for those that don't know the truth 
of that history. She actually spoke for the Women's Auxiliary, uh, spoke to the Women's Auxiliary of the KKK back in, I think, 1926 in New Jersey and was invited back. So she had an agenda. It wasn't just eugenics. She was a racist. Uh, We won't belabor the point, but when we come back, more on feminism and the church with Mary Danielson. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're here with Mary Danielson. She's, uh, boy, got a lot of information that she's researched on feminism. She's uh, followed Bible prophecy for years, and this just fits right into the end times and what we're seeing uh, in the rebellion against God and God-ordained rule. Um, You have a booklet in the Contenders series called Margaret Sanger, Cultural Architect. And in that book, you quote Dinesh D'Souza, and... Um, in addressing Margaret Sanger's uh, apologists, uh, he tells us we all need to know what we all need to know about Sanger. He said, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, has an ignoble legacy as a racist who addressed the Ku Klux Klan and initiated a Negro project, and you can look that up online, to reduce the population of poor, uneducated African Americans whom she considered unfit to reproduce themselves. This Margaret Sanger, the real Margaret Sanger, is completely whitewashed in, planned, in parenthood propaganda, which deceitfully portrays Sanger as a champion of reproductive choice. And, of course, the word choice is in quotes. And then there's a quote, many quotes we could share with you, but one gives you an idea of the way she looks at things or she was able to get this population control agenda going. Um, Let's see. She said, got a quote about eugenics, but I'm going to go to this quote here. She said, it's a vicious cycle. Ignorance breeds poverty and poverty breeds ignorance. There is only one cure for both, and that is to stop breeding these things. Stop bringing to birth children whose inheritance cannot be one of health or intelligence. Stop bringing into the world children whose parents cannot provide for them. Herein lies the key of civilization. Margaret Sanger, and she, of course, coined the term birth control. Mm -hmm. Now, that brings us up to speed here. That was in the 19-teens, 1920s. This was before, you know, Hitler and, you know, the German uh, agenda over there. They were definitely influenced by eugenics, but we won't go there. We're talking about American history and particularly feminism. So, Mary, you were about to, I think, go into some more history and some more influential women in America and with the harm that they did. Yes, and we're just going to bring it up to uh, the current day, more or less, uh, because the 60s, late 60s, found the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement. It was an absolutely crazy time. Uh, And at this point, a far-left political mindset took hold, especially at places of higher learning, and I use that term loosely here. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, the universities across the country, uh, the feminist vibe came into, um, that political vibe intersected uh, with, again, a strong side of socialism and Marxism. Reproductive rights took center stage in the 60s. can you tell us what that means, reproductive rights? I think it might mean different things to different people. It, it might, and, and, and I think um, they were leading up to uh, that very dark day in 1973, Roe v. Wade. Um, reproductive, I mean, you have free love on the one hand. Everything's all about oh, free boy. love. Of course, that there's exploded. no price to pay. Well, uh, no consequences, yeah. No consequences. Right? Do what you want. Do your own thing. All of a sudden now, um, we've got to cover that sin with some more sin. Basically, you know, from a spiritual perspective, and and during this time, the early '70s, the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA, was rammed down everybody's throats, morning, noon, and night, because women wanted the Constitution to reflect what they expected of their country. Uh, there were some personalities that rose to the top to to help with this, to put some flesh and bone on what women were thinking and, and feed that anger, and they included Gloria Steinem, who is now 85 years old. So that gives you an idea of the era of her influence, and Betty Friedan, author of the feminist Bible, uh, entitled with quotes, The Feminine Mystique, 1963. Friedan is credited with uh, sparking this late 20th century wave, although she did distance herself from the extremes of attacking homemakers and making fun of homemakers. Uh, Also, she did not go into the lesbian agenda, and she did not um, communicate a deep dislike for men in general that the femmes have today. 
you know, a lot of what we see in these angry women's faces on the nightly news is the fruit of Friedan and Steinem. Mm-hmm. And they were both born between 1920 and 1935. Isn't that interesting how Satan had a bag of tricks? That was an interesting time mm-hmm. in the late 20s and early 30s. And yep. by the way, Margaret Sanger, on one of the covers of her birth control review, had a picture, a caricature of a woman on her knees looking kind of like she's in the midst of a struggle, chained to a big oh. black ball that's about uh, the size of a medicine ball, mm-hmm. and it says um, unwanted baby, mm. chained yeah. to the leg of a woman. That was Margaret yeah. Sanger. Now, by the way, I want to interject here. You wrote in your Contenders series uh, a booklet called The Feminine Mistake, not to be confused with uh, Friedan's book, and, and it's your The Things to Come series. So I just wanted to plug that. Well, by the way, where can they get these booklets? Yes, they can. I'm, I'm hoping to have a website at some point. I've been <laughs> encouraged to do that, to offer those. But uh, people can just email me at, um, at the church, cchapel at ccappleton.org, the cchapel at ccappleton.org, and I will be happy to get those out to you. Okay, we'll get the names of these booklets mm-hmm. and also your email. Can we put it in the yes. blog? Today? Yes, All right, The podcast yep. post. All right, Mary, go ahead. Okay, so then in, in 71, and I remember hearing about this equal rights amendment they were going to make to the Constitution. Um, now in 71, the perceived rights of lesbians and legal rights of lesbian mothers became part and parcel of the feminists. Um, being invited then, which was, this was radical, to be part of now the National Organization for Women, which came along in 1966. I mean, this is a perfect storm of destruction and leaving a path of destruction everywhere it went. And this anger has been building to a crescendo since, oh, 1973, which is where the year that we descended into one of the darkest moments in human history, yes. where it became legal to murder one's own child. Abortion and feminism are now one cause, uh, and now we're throwing in alternative lifestyles and gender disenchantment. It mm. is just, it's horrible. And this is the face of radical feminism today. Yes. Think about what I said about it not being about having a job. Look at what it is today. It's called intersectional feminism, and it includes every imagined oppression. Um, any Can injustice you explain what that do. is? It, it just means that, that, that when you have um, gender issues, L, LB, uh, LGBTQ, LGB, yeah. never get that right. <laughs> LGBTQ issues, um, any kind of oppressed faction, they're finding they have a lot in common with mm. feminism. Um, Interesting. And, and with women, the feminism is unique in that um, it has to do with a woman and her body. And, and it is primary now. Uh, and it, and it, it elevates the woman above everyone else in her life. The baby doesn't matter. The father doesn't matter. Yes. It's the ultimate religion of the feminine self. So say she's carrying a female baby. Well, their body is not their own if the mother doesn't want them. And uh, both baby and father are now subject to this phenomenal selfishness of the woman. So that's where we're that is the history of feminism in this country. And we don't hear that side of the story where a lot of men would love to have those babies, but and sometimes the women decide on their own. And, of course, what about the human baby, the, right. the fetus in the womb? It is human. Dead things don't grow, for one. For another, you've got a separate heartbeat, a separate mm-hmm. DNA. You've got a separate body. And the tagline is, my body, my choice. Well, wait a minute. That, that, that doesn't work if—, if if you're a landlord, what is the the tenants are are they don't belong to you? <laughs> they might be renting a room in an apartment, right. but so th- there's just some really some confusion going on. But I love a quote in this booklet, "The Feminine Mistake," and uh, you were talking about abortion and feminism at this point, and you said that like I just shared, the baby is clearly a separate body, and reproductive rights ended when the woman conceived said child. And here's the quote I really like, Mayor. The leftists scream bloody murder when a child is separated from their parents at some border checkpoint, but they have no problem separating a child from its parents before birth, which is truly bloody murder. Just let that sink in. And knowing that this is a huge part, this is what drives the feminist movement today. Yes, it's, it's phenomenal hypocrisy, it's phenomenal selfishness. Um, yeah, it, it's it's the feminist movement movement has just gotten so ramped up to the point you can't even call it well you can call it feminism uh, because it has come into the church and that is the thing that grieves me the most. I don't expect a lot of the world. Um, 
But the church is a higher standard. It's yes. the light. Yes, we can't expect, uh, you know, a young girl who has never known God, never received the gospel, is not a Christian, who is having sex with her boyfriend, she gets pregnant, maybe she's in college or whatever. We can't expect her to value the life of that child, although some do. Some just have that that sense that, oh, I'm pregnant, that's yeah. a baby now. Yeah. Some do, but most that don't know God and don't know the Bible— They'll go to get an abortion. We are not looking down our noses and condemning them. They need the gospel first. Right. And let just, let's take this opportunity here, Mayor, to say mm-hmm. there's a lot of Christian women, I think one in three or one in four, who've had abortions, according to some mm-hmm. studies. And you can be forgiven. If you haven't already, there is forgiveness for you. There is grace. And yes, we are saying it is a sin. Mm-hmm. You are taking a life. Right. And that that baby is with God, but the mom's soul is in grave peril. Mm. And so we do want to minister to the moms if the Lord provides us an opportunity because they are headed for an eternity without Christ. Mm. That is the overriding issue on any sin. Yes. We need to be gospel focused here. So we laid out a lot of history and I thank you for that, Mayor. I really appreciate some of the the background you gave us. Um, I just can't help but think in those decades when it got to, to the 60s, you know, the, I think TVs were just coming into every home and just the prices on things and, and just how it was a simpler time. And that was before the big sexual explosion right. um, that led to the free love and Woodstock mm-hmm. and everything else. And then transcendental meditation and all these other things and drugs. But there was an easier time. But the church was also affected by that. Yes. And... We have to talk, by the way, if you want to go a little sidetrack here, the Calvary Chapel movement, you know, out in California, particularly, they were letting hippies come in. And what are we going to do with these barefooted, long-haired, smelly people? And let's just share the gospel. And that's how that movement got started so that there was a good part of that. Yes, there was a good part of that. And I think that God was raising up a generation that was going to talk about prophecy. And I think that it's, Mm. you know, because it was a move of the Holy Spirit, then God had a purpose for it. And I think it is the generation that is going to say, look, Jesus is coming. All these things are signs of the times. We are living in the signs of the times. Mayor, a lot of us, um, we go back to the Bible and, of course, Genesis and chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the fall. And I think I can't put myself in a woman's shoes, but I think just reading that, it must be kind of hard to absorb because the serpent, you know, Satan was working on Eve. Mm-hmm. We don't know how long. We don't know right. how much else took place dialogue-wise. We only have what is written in the Word of God. But the woman was deceived, and that just set in motion Mm -hmm. just um, amazing events historically and, of course, spiritually. Mm -hmm. You want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. um, You know, the teachings in the scriptures are not ambiguous. You know, um, um, the picture of authority goes back to Genesis 3.16. The Bible covers um, authority in creation. It covers authority in the family. It covers authority in the church. There shouldn't be any questions. But God told Adam in Genesis 2 uh, before Eve was even formed, that he shall not eat of that tree because if, if he does, he will die. So the serpent comes along to tempt Eve, and not only did he add to what God said, and this is going to be interesting when we get to some of these teachers out mm. there that women are influenced by, um, he said God told her not to even touch the tree. Well, God said no such thing. And Adam must have certainly told Eve what God had said because she wasn't around at the time. Um, but I think that Satan also said, you know, God's holding out on you because if you eat of it, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. And so the only th- way that they could actually have it all and be like God, uh, or their own God, small g, was to eat of that tree. Um, so the woman was deceived, and she paid dearly for her part in the fall of humankind, resulting in the headship of man over the woman. Uh, and like I said, it is reiterated throughout the whole Bible. So it's not like this is a one-time thing. You know, it, Paul presents it in every area of life um, and there are other verses, too, that talk about uh, women in leadership. I'd like to wait a middle minute to get to that okay. um, because I want to I mention that social justice now, because it's intersectional feminism, um, that means that it covers 
every area of social justice. And because social justice now has crept into the church, feminism is riding on the back of that beast. I mean, for mm-hmm. lack of a better a better picture yeah, here. That's, I like know, the way you put that, All the way up actually. to the pulpit. All yeah, the way up to I the pulpit. I like the way you put that, um, riding the beast. Yes. So, um, you know, now there's social justice in the church. And so Christians are expected to show sufficient outrage for every perceived injustice. You know, wait a minute. We're there to learn of God and and understand the gospel so that we can go out and share it. All of a sudden now we're sidetracked in the church about every perceived injustice, uh, using political correctness with it and moral outrage. And I wanted to find social justice real quickly here because I think that's important. It's not in the Bible. Justice is part of God's nature. It, 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 you know, it pursues what is right according to an absolute impartial standard that doesn't change. Uh, what God says is right. It involves matters that impact every human all the way up to Judgment Day, God's justice. Social justice, let's just call it socialized justice while we're at it, it relentlessly pursues things that are very subjective. They're seen, things that are seen to be lacking in certain people groups that others may have and others may want. It affects certain groups of people. Um, Like I said, people that have something that someone else wants, they need to share it with them. Um, this is not biblical justice. Biblical justice is eternal. Social justice is temporal. Social justice is entitlements, and it's victimhood politics. So now you got politics in the church. So you're going to have feminism mm. in the church. It's a very sad tale. And another thing that you mentioned, I think it's very clear that, it, that we will not truly see justice mm-hmm. until Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this a lot on this program, that whenever you put a word before justice— uh, it's probably not justice that they want. There's something behind that agenda. Right. Look at what, what's the most recent one, climate justice. Oh, my goodness, we're, we're, we're harming, we're offending the earth. There's, oh, yes. there's, the clouds are weeping. Yeah, climate justice, there's environmental justice, there's right. reproductive justice, there's social justice. There, you can go on down the line. So understand that when there's a word before justice, it's probably not just. But I like a point you made in the pamphlet, The Feminine Mistake, there's some good things. Um, the first Adam bears a conscious responsibility for the fall. The second Adam, Christ, bore responsibility for it all at the cross. And you said the cross is the great equalizer on a spiritual level. I love that because that reminds us as we're going through all this, and it, some of it's dark, some of it's disappointing, some of it's disturbing in what we're seeing today as far as our culture and, and feminist movement and into the church, but we can always go back to our blessed hope and knowing that he is coming and he is returning. So we've got a lot more to talk about. We will talk about some uh, leaders in the church and some uh, women in ministry. We'll talk about that with Mary Danielson when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We are talking with Mary Danielson about feminism and the church. And we were talking about Genesis. There's other scriptures we can go to in a minute. And I just want to remind you that Mary's got a book out called Home Before Dark. We'll put that in the podcast post today. That's on Amazon. And these booklets you can get to um, through Calvary Chapel, uh, the feminine mistake. A lot of good history and information there. And Mayor, um, we're going to get there. But a lot of women follow and are very loyal uh, to women pastors, uh, preachers, teachers. I want to differentiate something now. That it's very good for women to mentor other women and, and mentor young girls to disciple younger women, and women can teach Bible studies. You've taught one for years, correct? In the past, there's nothing wrong with that. Women use their gifts all over the body of Christ, all across the country, but taking that next step Mm -hmm. to be a pastor or spiritual leader or elder over men, authority over men, that is the issue where the world's got, or the church has to be different from the world because that's biblical. Share your thoughts on that. Um, I think what makes women's issues hit close to home for all of us is is what I mentioned at the very beginning about equality. Now, here is the distinction that I think that women who are pastors do not understand. Equal versus different. 
women, the world wants equality, and they will spend, they will shout it from the mountaintops. <laughs> women are complementary to men. They are the match, the mate, the helper. Now, the word for wife in Genesis, way back in Genesis 2.25, is opposite. And, you know, you talk to women who are married, and they say, oh, I thought I picked the right man, and we're just, we're so, just different. so different. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I don't think we can make this. And I think, well, you think, and this is your first clue that you're different? The Bible has said it back in Genesis, opposite. Women are designed to do things men are not designed to do, and vice versa. It's not about can or can't, because that's a fleshly competitive skirmish, and mm-hmm. that doesn't help anybody. The Bible doesn't teach competition between the genders. Uh, it teaches, you know, complementing one another and, and the helpmate. Uh, I have different strengths and abilities than my husband. I think differently. I'm creative in my own ways. I react differently. Um and I've also learned volumes from him based on his own gifts and callings as a man. So there is no issue with equality. I don't want to be a man. I don't want men to act like women. And you know what? <laughs> I'm offended by the notion that we need to homogenize the genders because then why should I be excellent at anything based on my gifts? Mm. Why should you be excellent at anything in the Lord? Um, you know, what makes an excellent husband? What makes an excellent wife? Well, they're two different lists. So because of this lack of understanding between equal versus different, um, Women have been influenced uh, far too much in this area, and they do not understand the pastoral role. When women become leaders in the church, um, they're thinking, well, we have the same gifts, so we deserve an equal opportunity. But this is faulty reasoning. Um, uh, The teachings of this are not ambiguous, like I said in the scriptures. Um, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 14 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And then he gives his answer, because Adam was formed first and then Eve. Now, that word silence actually means um, an attitude of submission and teachable. Um, it doesn't mean to be quiet in the church because Corinthians talks about women prophesying. That's not it. This word silence is comparative to the teacher. In other words, he's teaching, he is doing the speaking, you are learning. You mm-hmm. are to have that heart attitude that you are learning. Um, uh, Ephesians, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. What's the question? Yes, and by the way, in that, I think you, that was it, that Ephesians 3 you were alluding uh, to? Yeah, Ephesians 5. Uh, well, yeah. I think in one of those chapters also Paul says um, men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and how can there be any taller order for a a Christian man, Mm -hmm. to be willing to sacrifice himself, to lay down his life for his wife like Christ did for Mm -hmm. the church. And then right around there, before or after, I think it says, and women are to submit to their husbands. So a lot of modern-day women programmed by the feminists, by the public schools, Mm -hmm. by our culture, by the media, by Hollywood, men are unnecessary. And now they're thinking, wait a minute, I'm I'm supposed to submit to a man? Mm -hmm. Mayor, I want to ask you one thing, though. Mm -hmm. We want to definitely stress the the fact that God assigns different roles to Mm -hmm. men and women. And women have amazing ministries in the church. But one argument I've heard brought up, um, there's been women in the Old Testament, Miriam, Deborah, uh, in the Old Testament, they were chosen by God to serve him, but they weren't head over right. a church or head over mm-hmm. uh, men, but they, they had positions of power. Could, could you speak into that? Well, it had to do with uh, with their gifts, you know, especially if you're talking about the Old Testament. Um, that's not necessi- necessarily something that I have uh, formulated a lot about. I know that God had his reasons um, for for all those things, mm-hmm. and you know, Phoebe is mentioned, and Priscilla is mentioned, and all yes. those things, and you can uh, take all that as a whole. But it also, specifically, Paul, having taught all these things throughout the New Testament, is not going to contradict himself now. People might want to read into Phoebe while well, she worked in a church. Well, you don't get to read into that unless right. you've read the whole counsel of God's Word. Uh, Paul is never going to change. So if you're reading something that changes what Paul and through the power of the Holy Spirit has set forth, then what you're reading is wrong. And it does say, in, like for example, Acts 18, talking about Priscilla and Aquila, mm-hmm. uh, they they were presented there in Acts 18 as faithful ministers for Christ. 1826, they explained to him the way of God more right. accurately. On a personal Pris- level. Priscilla yeah. and Aquila. Mm-hmm. But the Bible does not say that Priscilla pastored a church right. or taught publicly or became a spiritual leader mm-hmm. of the saints at that time. Mm-hmm. So we've context really does matter, doesn't yes, it? It really, really does. And there's another verse that the, that mm-hmm. the feminists are using in the church. Uh, this is very interesting. I want to summarize this for you. Galatians 3.28. Yes. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. Okay, the cultural spin on this is that 
Uh, since this verse says, and this is not the biblical spin, the verse says there is neither male nor female in Christ, then somehow the offices of elder, pastor, etc. should not display gender differences. Whoa, 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 put on the brakes. That's a <laughs> non sequitur. It's a conclusion that's nonsensical to the premise. This verse simply tells us a few things, that those who come to Christ receive spiritual blessings and gifts equally, that the cross is on level ground, and there is no need to change one's standing to be saved, free, slave, Jew, Greek. It doesn't abolish gender distinctions or functions, and it clearly states that there are two genders. Uh, if this verse is about gender, then that's a whole other can of worms, and it actually tortures the text to make mm. it say that. And the other thing is a person can be a Greek male slave, a Jewish free female, or any combination of the above, and be on the same footing at the cross. So we don't want to let them hijack that verse either yes, and make and it say something it doesn't. Thank you for bringing that up in Galatians 3. It simply says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. There is neither Jew or Greek, neither slave or free, male or female. But remember, the context mm -hmm. of that chapter is about the just, the righteous living by faith and talking about the law and the promise and a handful of verses um, later. That's when it talks about all one in Christ. So now a lot of women listening, Mayor, at one time, maybe they still are, at one time they were seduced by uh, women in ministry, leaders mm -hmm. they looked up to, they elevated, and that's on us. Mm -hmm. When we elevate yeah, a man or a mm -hmm. woman, we've got a lot of celebrity pastors mm -hmm. in America, that's on us. And a lot of women tend to flock toward women teachers and preachers, but there might be a problem with uh, some of these leaders. I just want you to really... Just, just share your heart on, we got a list of them here. We probably can only get to a handful. Yeah. But there's Paula White, who is mm -hmm. one of President Trump's spiritual advisors. Mm -hmm. um, she's Word, Faith, or Prosperity Gospel Preacher. And, mm -hmm. and that this is just not a good doctrine to right. follow. But women look up to her because she's got a position of authority. And right. anyone else you want to mention or do you want to talk about her? Well, and it's how it makes them feel. You know, this, this gal is offering them deep allegories and spiritual truths uh, maybe it's based on something they feel they lack in life or it's going to solve some big problem that they can't get around. Um, and that, that kind of harkens back to Genesis 3. Women are seem to be hardwired to follow after mm. something that they don't have or that they really, really want. And, you know, uh, when it comes to false teaching, women will leave a church over uh, if a pastor talks about their favorites. Um, and, and the pastors will tiptoe around this, but they ought not to do that because these women have a grip on the women in the church, regardless of doctrine. So yes. Beth Moore, and we'll, we can keep these simple. It only um, If we only take the examples of the people that she ministers with, we have problems. Um, Hillsong's Christine Kane, who's a pastor at Hillsong, Jen Hatmaker, um, Matthew Vines, uh, LGBTQ, yeah. um, uh, Andy Stanley, and more. She has shared the stage with the pastor, Christine Kane. She has her own page on the Hillsong website. That's a problem. She teaches a mixed bag of really bad doctrine, contemplative practices, ecumenism, pop psychology, breaking your strongholds. Um, mm. She puts personal revelations on a par with scripture. She allegorizes the text, um, it, which amounts to itching ears in a way. She's taught both men and women on many a Sunday morning at churches. This is important. Mm -hmm. SBC churches. She's associated with Brian Houston, um, uh, TBN, Lori Crouch, Victoria Osteen. So um, there's a lot of problems with her in that way. Do you know how she became so darn popular, Beth Moore? I, I, I don't, because I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't follow her years back, and yeah. and uh, I I know Joyce Meyer at one time. I don't know if you're going to go to Joyce next. Yes, Joyce yes. Meyer. I listened to some cassette tapes. Oh. Yes, <laughs> young people will explain to what those yeah, are later. You're, you're old. I listened to some cassette tapes in the early 1990s. Uh, I think she had a, a teaching series on balance and discipline in your life. Okay based on biblical principles, okay. and it was very good. But that mm -hmm. cassette uh, tape was from a women's conference, I believe, where she was teaching women. Okay. She It was pretty solid back then, and, and I know from that point, I know that she got into the word faith and the, yeah. the prosperity The worst gospel. of it. The worst of it. I mean, it, yeah. you know, picture yourself sitting in, in a church and listening to this. Uh, she teaches that we can have whatever we want from God, uh, that we can be sinless, you know, positive confession, we can get whatever we want from God that sinless. are words. Yes, she says she is sinless. I read that recently in a couple wow. of different quotes. Um, she says that Jesus suffered in hell for us and became the first born again man. He stopped being the son of God on the cross. Uh, she teaches that if you don't believe Christ suffered in hell and became born again, you cannot be saved. 
Um, while he was in hell, the demons were having a party and laughing at him. And I mean, I, it's beyond bizarre if you ask wow. me. But that these are things she does tell her audience. Um, and I mean, her ministry has consistently earned tens of millions of dollars every year for the last 20 years. Uh, they, they all say some good things from time to time, and that's the scary part. Deceptive wouldn't be deceptive, deception if it weren't subtle. Yes. And people are not rightly dividing the things that she says. Um, Lisa Turkhurst of Proverbs 31 Ministries. Now, there's a name that you'd think would want to be a solid ministry for women. Mm-hmm. It is not. Uh, she is part of Stephen Furtick's church. She teaches men also, contemplative mm-hmm. prayer. She is also close friends with Christine Kane, Ann Voskamp, Beth Moore. Paula White is a prosperity teacher. Uh, Ann Voskamp, A Thousand Gifts, a lot of women gravitated to that. It's new age, sensual nonsense. It's wow. really horrible. It has contributed to this whole Jesus is my boyfriend movement. Oh. Very cringeworthy. It's awful. And those are just the main ones that come to my Mayor, mind. We're going to have to have you back. <laughs> There's so much more we could talk about. Yeah. And God willing, in the new year, we will. But before I give you an opportunity, just some with a, with a minute of concluding concluding thoughts, I want to mention that uh, people can get The Feminine Mistake and also uh, Home Before Dark is on Amazon. The Contender Series will have them email you at the church if they want. There's just little lightweight booklets. You can order a dozen of them and uh, give them as gifts. So we'll make sure people can get those. But concluding thoughts on where we're at as not just the culture, but the church today and Mm -hmm. women in leadership and what can women do who Mm -hmm. may be um, a little convicted maybe right now or maybe resisting some of this that yeah. you're sharing? I would I would beg my sisters out there to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if these things are true and if the Bible is true from beginning to end, it provides that transformation that women so desperately need so that they're not like the world. They can honor God with their uh, families, their gifts, um, how God has made them. Rejoice in how God has made you and... Yes. Uh, um, go, you know, love on your husbands and your kids and do it God's way, you will be thoroughly blessed. Thank you so much. Men and women compliment each other. Mm-hmm. We have different roles, and thank God we're not the same. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I compliment each other. I th- hope, think that's what most marriages mm-hmm. are like. Mary Danielson, the new book is called Home Before Dark. We'll put that in the podcast post. Uh, thanks so much for uh, bearing with us during this hour. A lot of information, a lot of history. I know Go back and listen to it again. There's a lot of things you probably missed. And when we come back, we'll talk about tomorrow's guest and the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, uh, packed show today. We've got another one on coming on tomorrow. Uh, Don Vino, Midwest Christian Outreach. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to cover, but I think we are going to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and when they come knocking on your door, how you can be prepared to share the gospel and refute some of their talking points. Also, Friday, Josh Paris of Ephesians 5 Ministry, dealing with sexual immorality in the church and how do we respond, why has there been so many cover-ups and why do we shy away from talking about these issues, accountability and more. That's on Friday. Well, thank you for tuning in, and remember to share this podcast. We are Shadow Band on Facebook. We need you to share, and that way more people find out about us and actually see our content on social media. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.